Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy you are here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about all things to do with motherhood and parenting and explore the joys and the challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to inspire us all on our parenting adventures and to support parents to raise their children with more awareness, connection and love. Welcome to Aware Parenting Stories, my new podcast, and this is my first ever episode, and I am so delighted that the first person I ever get to interview is the wonderful, wonderful Marion Rose. Welcome, Marion. I have the hugest smile, Joss. Thank you. I feel honoured to be your first guest. (laughs) Marion needs no introduction, of course, but... um, I'm sure everybody's very familiar with her huge body of work and all the amazing things that she's done over the years to support people and to spread the word about aware parenting and to change people's lives, mine included. So it's really perfect that we would be speaking to you first and getting the benefit of all of your amazing wisdom and knowledge. And I'm very delighted that you are my friend and my colleague and that I get to talk to you. Oh, I've been so touched. I've got the biggest smile. Thank you. Thank you. I love, I love all of our conversations. So I'm so excited to see what this one will be. <laughs> Great. So uh, the purpose of the podcast really is just to talk about aware parenting because I can never get enough of that. Um, <laughs> and just to share with people, um, you know, what things that you've found difficult, what things you found easy what things you know now that you didn't know in the beginning and all that kind of stuff so I'll just we'll just dive right in if that's okay so just um briefly how if you could share a bit about how you found aware parenting I know you've talked about this on lots of other podcasts too but just briefly how did you actually discover it can you remember yeah, it was on the um, the nascent internet. There was an internet back in those days, but it wasn't what it is now. And um, I was just doing some searching because I had a background, uh, 14 years or something, in developmental psychology and in psychotherapy. And I w- was pregnant and I wanted to find a style of parenting that aligned with all that I'd done so all the all the research all the also reading books like uh, the continuum concept which I know you have all the study in terms of attachment theory all the psychotherapy um, theory and practice that I'd learned and I was so I had that all gathered together and I but I wanted to know okay so how do I put that into practice as as a parent when my baby comes into the world and I searched and I found aware parenting and it was if the it was as if the light bulb went on and the angels sang and you know in the in a movie or in a cartoon where it's at that moment and I had a oh my gosh because not only did it fit with all the research all the training I'd done but it had this added extra piece which I'd only ever really I kind of glimpsed the possibility of that babies can heal from stress and trauma right from day dot whereas really I'd had mostly the idea that you can only do that once you're a fair bit older so that was the 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 miraculousness of it oh my gosh really is that possible so 
pretty much I was in love with it right from that moment and, and have been for then the last 20 plus years and uh, still I'm as passionate about it as I ever was. Wow. That's about as concise as I can get. <laughs> that was amazingly concise. Very great. Thank you. Um, and so it sounds like it was the um, the the way that we could support, you could support your baby to heal straight away from stress and trauma so she didn't then have to carry that through her life with her until like an adult time when it might be possible to then get therapy to get better again from her childhood is that is that like what the vibe was for you well, yeah I mean so that was the aha the you know the other parts were the all the attachment theory and the understanding of the impact of stress and trauma and you know all the things not needing to use punishments and rewards but the the extra piece that I hadn't when I say I hadn't considered, I remember once um, when I was in my uh, late 20s, I was with my best friend at the time, and she was the first of my friends to have a baby, and she was with her baby, and I was um, training to be a psychotherapist at the time, and we were talking all about, you know, go along, and we talk about feelings and expressing feelings and what happens in uh, in you know in utero and in infancy and in childhood that's stressful or traumatic and then one day she was I was with her and her baby and her baby was crying and she was doing everything she could to stop the crying and I did have one little thought going I wonder if babies actually do need to cry to express feelings at adults but it was just like a little thought that came through it wasn't like the thing that I thought of but I, I remembered it when I saw my parenting and that was the extra piece oh my gosh there's a whole other world out there that I hadn't even considered really wow yeah I mean that's such a mind-blowing moment where you realize that um and it's so misunderstood isn't it in our society that babies cry for more than you know for several reasons that babies cry because they have an immediate need of um yeah they're hungry or they're uncomfortable or they're in pain or whatever it is but they also have this other reason to be crying too when all those needs are met, all the other needs are met, and that is the need to express how they're feeling. And it's just such a obvious, um, it's obvious thing once you, once you understand it, but it's so misunderstood. It is, isn't it? And, you know, for me in particular, because that was my area of expertise so and personal interest. So in terms of the work I'd done, I'd, my PhD was on uh, postnatal depression, and the impact of that on mothers and babies. So I literally visited many, many mothers and babies and watched them, observed the video them, and then went through the videos microsecond by microsecond, looking at the what was going on. And uh, after my PhD, I did postdoctoral research, looking at what babies can understand. Um, and in the, my psychotherapy training, I was so particularly interested in uh, yeah, what happens in utero. I did rebirthing as well and holotropic breathwork, all these ways that we get to go back to our birth and our time in utero and those early weeks and years. So I really put so much focus and I was so passionate about that because of my own experience, um, having been in an incubator for the first five weeks of my life because I was premature uh, and had done so much you know, work and have done so much work over the years to to heal from that experience. So for me, and particularly to to have both that my own experience as a baby, all the 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 focus on understanding the impact of 
um, birth and pre-birth and post-birth on babies. So then to actually understand that, that that healing can happen literally on day one, you know, when a baby's, I mean, not many people do start when the baby is one day old, you know, zero days old. I did with my second child, but um, it was like the absolute missing piece of the puzzle to put all these other things into uh, perspective that, that, that of course we're so wise of course we can heal right from the beginning and and how wondrous is that the and i have kind of tingles uh, reconnecting with that the innate wisdom of human beings which i think is one of the things i love most about where parenting is that deep and i know we have many conversations about this the deep trust in humans particularly in babies and children when there's so much more connected with the with that innate wisdom to to know how to heal to know what they need in terms of all their needs the food what they need when how often um what they need to learn but that healing piece in particular was so meaningful for me in my journey i'm so grateful to alitha salter and and what she brought and has brought to the world yes yeah, wow, just listening to that gives me tingles too. It's just amazing, isn't it? That you had observed through years and years of study um, that you had a deep um, appreciation for the fact that babies have stress, babies have stressful experiences. And I think that's also really misunderstood in our culture too, isn't it? That we think that babies somehow aren't um, sentient beings that... Um, could experience stress and trauma from in utero as well as you know through that birth process too and so not only is it about that understanding that these things do happen to babies and they do cause stress for babies and then also to know that we have this incredible innate natural process to to be able to heal from that which like you say of course we do <laughs> why would our bodies be designed in any other way of course yeah. Oh, I feel so joyful hearing you speak. I, I'm remembering when I first um, had a Michelle O'Don book, and when he when he talks, and there are all these photos of babies, and um, you know what they experience, uh, particularly in more mechanized births, and it was that aha moment of you know all these steps, and that was one of them of oh my gosh, babies feel all of these things so intensely, and particularly when the newborn, the bright lights. Um, if they have had forceps of one twos, just you know the way they are touched, the way they talk to, the sounds, the brightness. That I remember reading. I, I still remember seeing that book for the first time and being so deeply affected by it. And also that being a um, another step for me around the acknowledgement of what I experienced and felt as a baby and the, the the repercussions of that and the feelings that were held in my body for so many years because of being in a little um, glass or I suppose it's a plexiglass box for, for five weeks rather than, you know, with tubes and all of those things rather than actually in the loving arms of my, my mum and dad. So that's so much. And also the continuum concept uh, with the Yaquana people, the book by Jean Leadloff, which I know you and I read in similar years in the 90, early 90s, was another one where to see oh my gosh this is what babies come into the world expecting that contrast from what um, Michelle O'Donnell showed in his book about birth or books that she read you know we come into the world as babies expecting 
to be held, to have warmth, to to be part of life, to be to feel that movement, to be sleeping in arms, to be carried in arms. And so each of these steps to, to really helped me be so deeply passionate about understanding how much babies feel, how they are taking in everything, how they are learning from every single experience. And I think that always needs to come in then and that they can hear and do and try to every day of their lives, they try to express those feelings from they've experienced. They try to express it. They try to tell us how they feel. They try to release the stress from their bodies. So amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so amazing. And that that can happen at any time. And like for you, as you say, that happened when you were an adult. And for, you know, some some children, it happens you know, when they're babies and they're listened to straight away. And, and if that's not possible or available, or if the mother doesn't have capacity or the knowledge to do that, that can happen at any time after it. And in fact, I discovered aware parenting when my boy was two and he hadn't cried really at all in his first two years because I thought that by suppressing his tears, I was taking away his pain. And um, I do remember him having this rebirthing, spontaneously um, engaging in this rebirthing play one day where he curled up into my stomach. And maybe, I mean, my daughter was born as well, so I maybe he was four or something. So we'd been in wear parenting for a couple of years and he curled up into my stomach and then he was like pushing his way out under the blanket away from me down against my body. And he was talking about, talking about it being a birthing process. And at the time I remember being completely just absolutely amazed that he had initiated this game and that he was doing it. And at first I'd thought rebirthing that, come on that can't really be a thing surely and yet here he was doing it and yeah that I was able to I, I was I just was so moved by that experience and I remember just telling my husband about it when he came home from work later and it was just, I was crying and it was so healing for me as well to to watch him do that to see the impact of that on him having had a difficult birth that was not what he wanted at all um yeah that was so powerful and to see the impact, I mean, I can see the impact on his character and his personality of the way that he was born um, in, in contrast with my daughter who had this really beautiful home birth in water at home and the impact that it has on them. So, yeah, it's so clear that that would be a hugely impactful experience and that our children are constantly looking for ways to tell us how they feel about it all um, and to to share that and get that off their chest. And I know that for us as well, we have so many feelings regarding the birthing of our children. And I know for me how healing and therapeutic it's been to have the opportunity to share that story again and again in different places to heal. So yeah, of course it impacts all of us um, and how, how powerful and beautiful and perfect the system is to <laughs> support us all, yeah. Oh, I feel so touched sharing that, Joss. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You're having memories as well as I hear you speak. I remember my babies when they were little and particular positions. Like Sunny would get in particular positions, which were just like his birthing position, and uh, or they try and push against my the head against my hand in a particular way, and just like 
those big feelings. And again, having this understanding from pre and perinatal psychology and having studied these kinds of things and seeing, oh my gosh, that vacation is not only when we're adults. Yes, we can do it. Isn't that wonderful? We can do it when we're adults. We can do it when we're children. We can do it when we're babies. So that's that system, as you say, is always there. The healing can happen. I also remember my daughter, um, when she was six, she had a, uh, she had an under bite under bite overbite she the bottom jaw was sticking out which i think was probably to do with more various things but she did have a very long posterior birth which i think had an impact and even though she'd done a lot of healing from her birthing experience which was really long very beautiful but very long when she was six and she had the this plate put in which was supporting her um jaw to move back into a more healthy position um, suddenly she she had this really powerful rebirthing experience with um, her dad and I and she literally moved around the house as I'd moved around the house um, as I was birthing her and right at the end she she kind of did this almighty kind of like she was being born and then she just fell into this most beautiful restful sleep for something like 18 hours or something you know she woke up to have a bit of food and a drink and then went back to sleep and it was so powerful to see, you know, because this um, the plate was moving her jaw as as she probably experienced in birth. It was helping her reconnect to more of the memories and more of the feelings from that time. Which is just it's so wonderful, isn't it? That we are constantly, you know, these outer experiences are constantly inviting us to do the next piece of healing around our birth and anything else, all the other things that happened as well. But, but yeah, it can happen at any time, the healing and the, the, the profound power of how different we feel in our bodies when we've had that opportunity, how much more relaxed, much more connected, much more peaceful. And that contrasts so, I mean, that's just beautiful, isn't it? It contrasts so sharply with when we, um, you know, when, when we're not aware of aware parenting, we might instead shut down our children when they're trying to express themselves in this way. In fact, that's usually what happens. And, you know, the child might be punished or they might be, you know, we might get angry with them for, for doing this or we might try and stop them. And your daughter going through that beautiful experience, you might have said, you know, now come on, you have to, this is good for you and it's going to make your teeth feel better. So you have to just stop, stop making such a fuss about it. Or, you know, my son, when he was doing that birthing play and I could have just said, well, oh, this is weird. Stop being weird. That's you know um, uh, how easy how easy it is, and how frequent it is in in our culture and with mainstream parenting for these powerful mechanisms to be to be shut down. And and such. I've just got so much sadness about that, and that's partly why I'm so passionate about web parenting too. And yeah, just I know you are too. And sharing sharing this these stories and and yeah, just supporting people to to trust that these these natural mechanisms are an essential part of our healing process yeah oh i'd love to add a couple of things number one i want to say it wasn't specifically in relation to putting the plate in for her so it wasn't like that but it was only afterwards i realized ah oh, this is she suddenly just went into having this big cry over you know apparently nothing which of course is how so often this happens so it wasn't specifically that she wasn't wanting to have this done or anything but then i and then i realized oh of course that's it was actually the movement that was helping her connect with that the other thing i'd love to say is over the years and i wonder if you found this too is um, particularly working with other parents is how for children 
particularly that the, the birth experience is so often like really close to the surface to them that uh, that they can often go into feelings and very quickly drop into their birth experience. So they might say they might get into positions that clearly indicate that they, they're kind of rebirthing or they might say things like, um, you know, it's there's a I remember my once my daughter, who she was just saying be crying, she said, it's like there's a table on me. I mean, there's nothing on her, but it was that that was the way she could describe how she felt in her body. You know, they might say these strange things like, you know, this is that's really I mean I'm pushing really hard or I can't get out, or they'll they'll say these things that you might say, like, what what are you saying? But actually they're they're communicating that they're actually dropping straight away. Like often they can do it within seconds. They drop into that, those birth experiences and start crying to release the feelings from them, which I'm just in total awe of the amazingness of that. And again, but if you don't understand that, I remember once talking about it to a friend. So, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a consultation. There wasn't that therapeutic support and her child started crying straight away. I could see the things he was saying, and I was, you know, saying, hey, do you think that? And she, she was just too much, which I totally understand. But if you can, if you see it, it just becomes obvious. <laughs> and I remember so often with my children, they would be having a big cry and I'd be going, oh, I think that's another part of your birth experience. You know, they might be in three or four or whatever. And so I'd say words to them that were relevant to the here and now situation that they were crying in response to. But I'd also be saying words that that were relevant to little baby them, like you know I'm right here with you and we're doing this together and you know you made it and so so really communicating on that um, you know both in the here and now and to the past them as well, which I think again is so so yummy to have that awareness. So beautiful, yeah, wow, so nice, yeah. Mm. Do you um, have my so those kinds of kind of parallel moments where it's yeah you remember yeah absolutely and my daughter had a um she had the cord was wrapped around her shoulder when she was born and even though she had this very beautiful and relaxing and gorgeous birth um she used to get lots of feelings when you were putting clothes on her and her arm would get stuck or anything like that and yes yeah, she would she would have that um yeah lots of that language that was clearly related to to a birth feeling so yeah yeah i've seen that too very much and, and even for us as adults we might say mightn't we and people will often see that like they you might see themes showing up for people that they might say you know i'm stuck or i can't do it on my own or i get to this certain point in the project and i give up or and again you can see so often that that impact of that those early experiences still impacting us and how profoundly healing it is for us just to, to have the opportunity to share those feelings. And then if they're, if they're heard with, with love and with understanding and with kindness, then we get such insight about it and we, we let it go. It's just, it's, in a way, it's just so straightforward and so simple and so beautiful yeah, to be offer, offering it to our children and to ourselves. Yeah, I wonder if we could talk a bit about that, actually, about... Um, that process, how, how, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of, um, a lot of therapy as part of your training and listening and so on, but I wonder when, when you, you realized that deep connection between listening to our children's feelings and also listening to our own feelings and how, you know, supporting ourselves in this way was actually a real gift to, to shift things for our children too. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, because I'd done, I'd had 10 
years of weekly therapy before I became a parent, which, I, you know, I, I'm in such awe of people who do any kind of conscious parenting or aware parenting without having done that. I mean, I I found it quite challenging <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah, so I think for the first couple of years as well, it was almost like my cup was super full and I'd done so much exploring of my childhood. And, and so I was really, it was so easy for me to focus on my daughter and be seeing things through her eyes because I'd, you know, my cup was so full from all of that and I'd done so much. But it was after about two years, it was like, I was starting to go, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, now I really need to go back and actually get back into having my own feelings heard and getting getting more listening. I mean, I had, but not as much as, as clearly when I started to need. So it was like that, that, two, that two years had, that, um, you know, that past 10 years had been used up and I and I realised that that all my own feelings were, were starting to show up and starting to come up in terms of how I was responding to her. So, um, yeah, I, I always found it made a huge difference whenever I had friends to talk to and share about and I got to cry and I got to express my feelings and I'd be back in, like, in love with, with her. And it's like, oh, you know, this is easier to listen and give empathy and see things from her perspective. Um, so I think that's so often the, the some of the ways that we can tell, can't we? If we if we're finding it hard to see things through our child's eyes, it just usually means we just we just need some loving listening. We need to express our feelings. We need someone to see things through our eyes. Someone to listen empathically to us, so that we can be able to return to that listening to them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> so often the first the first place to start and I remember when we were aware parenting to start with and with your loving support and guidance and I remember you would say look to yourself look to support yourself and I would be like oh, but I don't want to <laughs> I just want my child to go to sleep or I just want my toddler to stop having tantrums or whatever and then you have this realization at some stage and I remember yeah having conversations about that where I was like oh hang on we need aware parenting for mothers and then we can do aware parenting for children. Um, yeah. yeah, it's so, it's so closely connected, aren't they? Yeah, I so remember that that first patch of phase was like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this aware parenting thing to her. And she's going to have, I'm going to listen to 100% of her feelings. She's going to have no control patterns. It was just all focused on her. I was like, uh, hello. <laughs> Turn the finger back to point back at myself. And yeah, it's the most profound um healing that we can go on isn't it being a parent i found Absolutely. even with all that therapy training and you know doing many many modalities in my 20s and 30s as well that's nothing like being a parent to actually bring up every single unexpressed um, feeling and the unheard need yes <laughs> And an ongoing process, isn't it? Because each stage that our children are at brings up stuff for us from from those stages for ourselves, and and that keeps going on. And now I know our children are both adults and approaching adulthood rapidly, and so yeah, it's just the next the next level, the next stage, the next layers. Yeah, which has its own different. Um, yeah, it's different, but it's still there. I mean, less less challenging because I think you know we've done more in work, but still, absolutely, will bring us yeah. up against our edges. Yes. Yeah. 
But at times you might be, no, we don't like, I remember just as you said, like the beginning, I said, no, I just want it to be better. I don't want to need to do all this. But yeah, it's wonderful as well, isn't it? Like we will, we'll do things, we'll attend to things in ourselves that we might never, we probably would never have faced if it hadn't been that we see that we actually, in order to be able to parent in this way, we need to be able to do that in ourselves. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So central, so crucial, so vital. Um, so what else was I going to ask you? Um, what did you, I'll just talk about some of the different aspects of aware parenting. You spoke about a bit about the, um, you know, the closeness and the physical, the bonding, the fine, close attunement to our babies and long-term breastfeeding and so on. What about, um, what about play? How, how do you remember how you first started incorporating play with your children and you first realized the amazing therapeutic healing possibilities of, of laughter and play? Because I think initially we quite often get quite fixated on our children needing a release and how we're going to support them through that. And then we have this amazing discovery that there's this whole other way that's, that's fun. <laughs> Can you remember that process? Yeah, I do. And in a, as training as a psychotherapist as well, I was like so into that. Yes, it's about the crying, the rage. And yes, I work on them. Yeah, I really loved all that. And for me, I've we've never done anything, you know, in any of the things I'd trained in that was actually, well, hardly anything that laughter and play, healing. So that was for me. I had virtually no practice in that. It wasn't something... You know, I was going to say it doesn't come naturally, but I'm going to rephrase that. I think it's natural to all of us, but I had clearly suppressed that natural play in myself quite a lot. Um, so it was quite a journey for me. And also at that time, um, Aletha's book, Attached from Play, hadn't been, she hadn't written it. Um, so the information, there wasn't so much out there in the world. But I used to call it, what did I call it? Um healing play I can't remember now so there wasn't as much information I didn't I didn't get it as much um, mentally as well so it was really just playing with little things but, but yeah I didn't I didn't it was never it's it still not is not my forte my forte is much more listening to crying and raging but I'd have these moments of like you know particularly non-directed child center play clearly that again I found that easier because <laughs> not needing to be Cicely and goofy but just over time, just the little bits here and there that I was starting to bring in, I saw, oh, my gosh, they do feel more relaxed. We do feel more connected. They are more cooperative. And, but I think for me, it was actually doing more for myself that really shifted things for me. So uh, I was running workshops on attachment play and standing up and actually were talking something, something similar. And I'd stand up and um, I was running them with Helena often as well. And we would just be silly and goofy and I'd make jokes and um, I started bringing it much more into my work with parents. And I think it, I really needed to experience that for myself as an adult, again, to help that become more natural with my children. So I think for me, it's often been just generally being silly and goofy rather than any particular attachment play. That's really been the thing for me that I just find so freeing and connecting and relieving and releasing. Love that. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and how powerful it is that you're doing it in workshops, because I know that, you know, we all have, well, not all of us, but lots of us have, um, you know, stress associated with standing up in front of people and running workshops and that kind of thing. And for you to have been able to use that to release lots of feelings around it would have been really helpful for the then and there and also for the healing of the past stuff too. Exactly. You know, nonsense play in particular is so helpful around any 
feelings or thoughts we have around competence. So just being Salingupi is so healing. And also I had experiences that I remembered and even as a parent where I'd, you know, took chatting with a friend or or um, the father of my children back then and being in hysterical laughter, you know, that kind of laughter where it's just like the solar plexus would be hurting and it would be just so <laughs> like so releasing and after that realizing oh my god I feel so relaxed that is so powerful and I think there's something about attachment play in this culture that we do tend to see it as lesser than than healing through other means particularly crying and raging and so on but actually I see it as as powerful or even more powerful like to the the healing that's happened from those kinds of experiences for me has, has been so profound like there's just nothing like it is there like laughing like that it's incredible yes yeah, so good isn't it it's so it's so reassuring and it's such a relief to know that you know if you're not getting there with the tears and for some reason you're not finding that sweet spot with your kids to encourage and support them to release you can you can go in and just be silly and it would it'll just so often will flow and I love the fact that it gave me permission to just be ridiculous and to not have to be serious and not have to do anything right and it's just it was just fun and like you say when you see the effects of it and so often I would have a go at using aware parenting type play techniques if there was stress at home or if there were difficulties with children with other children or you know that kind of thing it just yeah you can see straight away how how healing and supportive it is to 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 get those feelings out of the way and to allow everyone to just have some fun and to be so connected. I remember reading um, Larry Cohen's book, Playful Parenting, and that was so inspiring for me. I just, I really, really loved that. That was, of course, yeah, like you say, before Aletha's book was published. Yeah, I used to have that on my countertop and I'd go and look at it every day and go, okay, read a page. Right, okay, I'm going to do that one. Also something about just seeing the the kind of almost surprise in children's faces, and particularly like with other children as well, maybe not so used to it, and seeing like, what, really? <laughs> that there's an adult being really ridiculous and goofy here and just that they're like almost like that Pied Piper phenomenon that children just flock to it and and also really simple things I remember finding really helpful like um you know before that if I'd seen like a toddler and met them with another with a parent for example I might say oh, hello how are you and you know they'd often look away and I just didn't know what to do because I was still in that let's be serious and thinky adult mode and then once I learned about touch and play I just do a little bit of um you know a bit of peekaboo with them and within 30 seconds, almost the majority of children will be interacting in some kind of way with that peekaboo. It's, it's such a, it's the language of children, isn't it? The language of childhood, touch and play, so powerful. Yes, I was just going to say, that's speaking their language, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so many. Yeah. And just once you start, and you, I find often people mothers especially find it difficult to start with often and it seems to flow more easily for dads quite not always but you know sometimes but once once we give ourselves permission to just be silly and to have a go it can be it can be so liberating as well as so effective um, and yeah I love all the different aspects of it and the yeah the special time that non-directive I can never say that properly non-directive <laughs> child-centered <laughs> 
play. <laughs> anyway, time where you just give your kids your undivided attention. And, and then when you bring in the, the loving limit element with a timer, and listening to feelings there, and that's so effective, isn't it? Because their needs for connection and, and for fun and for release have already been met through the play. And then you put the timer in and set the loving limits. Um, but yeah, so many different. And yeah, the power of us all play is just, I love, I love that. And I've loved, loved, loved doing that with my kids and with other people's children too. And yeah, I've just got lots of great memories of being, you know, pushed in a swimming pool with all my clothes on. Or <laughs> you would never push me in the pool, would you? I can stand here safe. And, you know, um, but just so many different games that are just, yeah, so, so delightful and fun and, and healing. Yeah, I'm remembering, um, I used to call it present time. I've gone back to Aletha's term. I've gone back to all her terminology now. So non-directed child centre player, I remember for some period of time, every day my son would choose to to go in the pool and, and yeah, doing, yeah, because it's, it's great for power of us games because you can pick someone up who's heavier so the child can pick up the parent and do all kinds of things that really support a lot of, a lot of um, power of us. And so, uh, yeah, I remember that. With fondly, although sometimes I say, "Oh no, I don't again, there again." At the time, it was great. <laughs> and sometimes you can incorporate that into your play yeah, as well, like, can't you? Oh no, don't let me play trains again. <laughs> You're not going to push me exactly. You're not going to push me again. You're not going to carry me, are you? No. <laughs> I can imagine carrying would be really lovely as well in the water, so you could just relax and. Yeah, sometimes the, the best play happens when you just go, I have no idea what to do now. I'm just going to lie on the floor and see what happens. And then your kids jump on you and it's, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, oh, no, I love I, it. We're still doing it now. I can still, you know, my, my daughter has this thing at the moment where there's a song from a, from a movie that she started doing this ridiculous dance to spontaneously. And then I joined her in it. And now... Like every night, every most evenings at some point now, I'll be sitting doing something and she will walk into the room and she'll put the song on the stereo and she'll, I'll be like, oh, Jada, I'm just, I need to do the washing up. And she's just like, no, come on. And she'll have to get up and join in. And by the end of it, the dog's having fun. We're having fun. Everyone's laughing. It's just got, it just transforms the, the mood. It transforms everything in an instant, doesn't it? It's so yeah. lovely. Oh, I love hearing that. So precious. It becomes even more precious, isn't it, the older they get? Whereas yeah. they, when they want to, want to be out around us all the time, so when they get older, it's just like, oh, my gosh. I often say I'm a bit like a um, you know, a teenager with a crush when, when my children want to just, oh, yeah, yes, I love them so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. my son does this thing where he, he'll pick me up quite often and oh. i just you know mock outrage and <laughs> no don't do that again but i love it i really love it <laughs> so, um okay well let's talk about loving limits that no one better to talk about loving limits <laughs> with than you because you are the inventor of, of the term um do you want to talk about Which I always think is quite funny because it was it, it took me so long to be able to do them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. My limits were not so loving for a while. <laughs> um, my limits were not so limity. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? I think so often that can be the case that things that we that are harder that we need to put more effort into often the things that we can then become really competent at because we just kind of need to. So, yes. 
they didn't know how to do loving limits for about three years i don't think <laughs> yeah and it's interesting that you say that i hadn't really thought of it in that way before that it might be that they're not you're finding it hard to to, to not be not have feelings bubble up in response to what's going on so that that gets in the way of you being loving but of course yeah there is the limit side of it as well where we just find it difficult to connect with our desire in the moment or what we really need or what our children really need in the moment or and our willingness to to actually stay clear and firm and, and strong and not to want to go into that permissive sort of um wanting to placate or whatever it is so yeah that, that's interesting yeah and i think for me it was having experienced more harsh limits it's like i don't ever want to do that with my children so that's why so veered on the other side and so it really took me some while to really have that embodied experience and i remember the first time i really felt it in my body of that really clear no which is also why i'm so passionate about you know the whole the no work is ah this is this is a really embodied loving limit this is when i'm really saying and you know the, the phrase i have which is saying no to the behavior and saying yes to the feelings that are causing that behavior and i can still remember that exact moment where i really i mean i you know been working towards it for some while but to actually really feel it in my body was so profound and and i find as well in working with parents and they might they might say similarly, but uh, no, but I'm offering loving limits and nothing happens. And I, I say, oh, yeah, that, uh, would you be wanting to you know, share? How, how do you say it? What do you do? Uh, you know, share with me. And, and then I, uh, particularly in in-person workshops and things, and I might offer the, how I might say it and how I might embody that. And they're like, oh, okay. It's, it's something we don't see in our culture very much and we most of us didn't grow up with. So that's why I think it does take most of us quite some time. How do, we, how do we say no in a loving way? How do we stay really clear in both the no and the profound compassion for a child and listening to their feelings that, you know, whether it's saying no to hitting or saying no to, you know, reading another 75 books <laughs> before they go to sleep, to actually stay in touch with with understanding that saying no in those moments is the most loving thing we can do it's quite a thing isn't it well i i found it quite a thing. yeah no it is it's really it is amazing and i mean that your your words i'm sure are echoing around the aware parenting community as everybody says to their children i'm not willing and i'm right here and listening because we all do that now but yeah it's it's so um, so much the most loving thing we can do in that moment and I think that's really lovely for people to to really grasp that um, because quite often people uh, I find with clients they get confused about people's needs for autonomy and are they somehow you know if they're saying no to their child is that somehow then denying them that that need for their choice and autonomy and it's it's just in that moment what they need more than choice and autonomy is a loving no so that they can access the feelings and that we can give them op opportunities to meet their needs for choice and autonomy in, in lots of other places but that's not actually the key thing that they need in that moment what they need in that moment instead is is to offload feelings and that's why i think it's so helpful as well what you say it's about saying no to the behavior and yes welcoming those feelings that are that are in the way that are causing the behavior and that are making them feel so uncomfortable and, and lucky in the moment. Yeah, I love that you say that, Joss. I really think that's such a key point, isn't it? And I think that's for me, it was that as well, not only the not wanting to offer a harsh limit, but also really wanting to value 
want my children's needs for choice and autonomy. And I see that so many times in parents, as I as I know you do, is like because that's one of the things that we pivotally also offer in aware parenting is really meeting those needs for connection for choice. I think it can take a while, can't it, to really understand actually if if our child is hitting and and we're in a more permissive style of parenting and we're just like, oh, you know, that's just, you know, Susie or Johnny, they're just, you know, they're just a bit rambunctious and we don't we don't respond. That is actually not any service to the child because they they do not actually want to be hitting that moment. It doesn't help them all the feelings and thoughts they might have after that behavior. It doesn't help them in terms of friendships or how they're perceived in in the community um or you know whatever it is you know asking for 75 cookies or books or hours on the screen or whatever it is that actually it's much more we're actually meeting the real needs in that moment by saying no just like if if we had a dear friend and actually i'd ask my mum to i told my mum about loving that my mum's 90 and um, over the years, she, you know, she she's learned things about our web parenting. But the other day, I said, do "You know, I keep eating these crackers. I do not want to be eating them anymore. So if you see me going to eat the crackers, would you be willing to say to me, sweetheart, I really see that you want to eat those crackers, and I'm not willing for you to have those." And and she's like, "Okay, what do I say?" So you know, if we have someone that we trust as an adult to actually support us in not doing the thing not doing the control pattern that's going to suppress the feelings it's it's a it's the most loving thing that we could have isn't it for someone to actually say no no sweetheart but i'm i'm really here to listen to all the big feelings that those crackers or whatever it is are trying to suppress wow (laughs) yeah that's amazing oh my goodness wow yeah yeah and so often as adults we might say things quite uh, harshly or you know in a way that's really not helpful at all but yeah that's so simple and so profound to just ask somebody if there's something that you're noticing is is, is something that you're doing urgently yeah. are there tricks that you use or that you've not tricks but are there um, strategies that you've found helpful over the years to remind you um, to to bring loving limits to your children when you see that they're or, or how do you see so when your kids are behaving in a certain way it's the things that you've done to help you tune into oh yes they need a limit now and i'm i'm the person to do that and here i am off i go uh well i mean i mentally i find it helpful to remember the main two places for loving limits are with this you know the way i categorize it is uh, aggression which is all things you know that have any kind of that energy to them or suppression so control patterns so that's what i have in my mind and generally it's exactly as you said it's that kind of urgent quality and the paradox is often when something's a real need there's a unless of course someone's just starving and of course we all ask in an urgent tone but generally something's a real need there's a there's a different quality to it whereas if something is being asked for to suppress feelings it's usually really urgent because it's basically if i don't have this thing now or do this thing now I'm going to feel these feelings and I'm desperately trying to stop feeling them so I need that thing right now and we might have that same quality in ourselves you know I really need that piece of chocolate right now I need it I need to rush to the fridge in the quickest possible time right now (laughs) or give me my phone or you know whatever it is I need to read that book before I go to bed 
it's that quality of like I need it right now it's the urgency and it's usually the kind of reactivity of anyone's kind of coming near to us when we're when we're moving towards that thing so I think often for me that is the thing also that the sense of not not feeling really connected with with them when they're doing it and noticing that they might um you know, be looking a bit glazed in their eyes and they might be avoiding eye contact. Or um, the other thing is usually it's, you know, when, when someone's tired, that's often when feelings are bubbling up and, and other things will be happening to try and suppress those feelings. So just watching out for those kinds of things. Yeah. So helpful. So helpful. What, what kinds of other things do you, have you, do you look out for? Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically that's basically it it's that urgency it's that quality of i need this rather than i want this and then yeah then it's a a matter of staying tuned staying tuned into them and sometimes we don't have the capacity right then to listen to the feelings and that's totally okay and you know that one of the things i adore about aware parenting is that that we get to be the expert in our children and we get to be the ones who decide whether we have capacity or not to do it now and and without judgment as we go through the process we get better at doing it without judgment but um yeah that but do i have capacity right now to listen to feelings probably not okay you can have you can have another <laughs> fifth bedtime story, or you can spend another uh, hour on screens or whatever it is. There's that wonderful meme during the first, the whole lockdown thing, which was a child saying to their parent, no, the parent saying to their child, "It's time to switch off your screen now." And the child saying, "But mum, there's only 430 more episodes." And the mum going, "Okay, but after that, you have to switch <laughs> off." <laughs> So, yeah, there are times when we can't, and that's totally okay. Just the same with all aspects of aware parenting. There's times when we can't play, and there's times when we can't listen to our babies crying, and that's totally okay. And we just, you know, bring our awareness back to it another time when they bring it up another time, and they might be bringing it up with, you know, with aggressive behaviour, or they might be, you know, crying and wanting to cry to express, or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, just trying to tune into ourselves i think that's what i'm getting better at over the years still a work in progress but yeah tuning into myself and thinking you know what am i capable of doing now once i'm aware of what my children need in that moment and trying not to have harsh judgments about myself when the answer is no can't do that now too hard i think that's that's so much the parallel journey isn't it after that initial point of thinking we're doing it to them is realizing and i i remember really starting getting passionate about this is like oh okay so if we're not going to punish our children uh, how about actually stopping punishing ourselves and you know if we're going to listen to their needs how about we also start to really listen to our own and we're going to welcome all of their feelings how about doing that too and and how that's so pivotal in the journey isn't it and how how much harder it is to do it if we are trying to practice that with them but we're doing the opposite they were doing what we were conditioned to do to ourselves kind of a mismatch and doesn't ever end so well I remember all the times I I was doing something in a web printing because I thought I should and never goes so well from a should (laughs) from a place of um, frustration or resentment or tiredness doesn't really really go so well does it no no absolutely not and we could push through, but it's not 
and our children sense it as well don't they i mean they can really sense when we're not really not really not really present and they're just going through the motions particularly with things like play Exactly. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, like loving limits or play, if, if there's something big going on for me, it's like, it's just no point even trying. <laughs> exactly. You said much better to just go, and I'm not willing to play or do any attachment play today or this week. And no, I cannot set a loving limit right now because it's just not going to come out. It's either going to come out as harsh or it's going to come out as wishy-washy. So there's no point. It's not going to work. It's only going to make things worse. So. Yeah, so those are really the moments, aren't they, where we have to go and tend to ourselves and we really, you know, it's so helpful if we then take that time instead to, to nurture ourselves or to listen to ourselves or to get listening for us or whatever. That's, that's from that space that we can then be free to, to do that for our children again, yeah. So, so central, isn't it? The compassion internally and externally is vital. Yes. Oh, so yummy. Yay. Talking with you. Oh, I'm aware of the time, so I'm just going to ask you a couple more questions. Is that all right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, are there things that you would love to share with somebody who's new to aware parenting about this that um, you would have made your journey easier had you realised that or deeply felt that yourself at the beginning? Well, I think it's all just what we just said just then, basically. But um, there is plenty of time. Um, there is no such thing as perfect. So maybe see if you can drop that straight away because oh. no one's going to be able to do it perfectly. There is no such thing as perfect. That's part of the conditioning that we have grown up with and that it, the you know, for me, I was trying to, trying to make such a huge shift in one generation. So what I love to say to people is that you are the next step in and you are, you are going to make a huge difference. You're going to transform things for your child or children and for your lineage. But there's no way that you can do everything. I mean, there isn't, it's just not possible. And there isn't really in everything. It's just that you, you're doing your piece and whatever you do is a huge an amazing thing like this is this is a huge thing to shift out of the paradigm that we've been in for so long to see children in a completely different way to respond to them with compassion to understand the causes of their behaviors you know all of this stuff i have tingles even thinking about it so to really and of course we can't really see that when we're beginning but like this is wonderful that you're even willing to like look at this stuff and do it differently whatever you do is amazing please do not judge yourself but of course knowing that it takes time to stop judging yourselves it takes time to be deeply appreciating of ourselves so that's the kind of paradoxes that even though i'd love to just transmit that straight away it takes it's, it's part of the process that we we unlearn all of those things but just to say it's amazing what you're doing you're doing enough you're doing more than enough and please celebrate and appreciate everything that you do oh i love that that's so nice and i, I love oh yeah i love the fact that as well that then by doing that process people are modeling to their children that so that our children don't have to then unlearn all this stuff as adults they they just get to see that that's how it is so they will have so much less judgment and so much less um, you know so much more ease and yeah it's just yeah 
that each each step each imperfect step that we take in this process is so transformative for ourselves and for our children and then allows our children will allow our children then to to transform their children in a way that it's like oh yeah exponential kind of oof, yumminess <laughs> Yes. And then the other part of that is just to trust, like that how it's showing up and that, you know, if you if you found out about it when your child was five, to trust that there was a reason that you didn't when they were zero or, you know, whatever it is that we wish we would it was different. Of course, first of all, give lots of love and compassion to the grief in the morning and all the feelings that we might have. But also once you've done that, to see if we're willing to just deeply trust the unique journey that we're on, that our children um I was going to say something that isn't really aware parenting. So, but you know, to trust that our children chose us, that isn't aware parenting. So, what would we say in aware parenting? To trust that there's, you know, there's something special in our relationship with our children, and that that you know we cannot be someone else. We cannot do things the way that our friends doing them or the way someone else is doing doing it. We can just be ourselves and do the best that we can, and that, that is always enough. Just wow. to, to trust that unique relationship that we have. And that some of us are going to be in all the things we talked about. Some are going to find attachment play easy. Some of us are going to find that really hard. Some are going to be, you know, loving limits. We're like, yeah, of course I can do that. But you know, again, to, to see if you can drop all the comparison and the self-judgment and just to celebrate yourself as the parent you are, that your child needs you. And the more that you um, celebrate yourself and, and um, appreciate whatever you're doing in your parenting, that is actually the best gift, the most oh. wonderful your child isn't it because we can be doing everything but but like judging ourselves so hard that that's what our children see so just you know love yourself love yourself and love what you're doing whatever it is because it's amazing oh, <laughs> that little clip just there i have to find my technical skills are not up to it but i have to find a way to grab that little clip and and play it in every child health nurse and every labor <laughs> ward and everywhere every radio station on the hour every hour wow <laughs> imagine imagine how much better parenthood would be if you had that in that message in your heart from from word before you were even birthing your child oh Wow. Oh, I feel people, Joss, because I think that's coming back to what, what we talk about softening is the conditioning that's, that we've received over and over and over again in all different places. And imagine if we all received exactly as you say on every form of media that we ever came in contact with that, you know, we are enough, that we're doing enough and that and to, to, to just love and appreciate what we are doing. <laughs> Yum. And I'm looking forward to lots more conversations about this with you in various places. Um, so that ties very nicely into what's your vision then with aware parenting? How would you, what, what do you imagine that, that this, how this can grow and how, I mean, because we all have this deep understanding and um, excitement about how aware parenting is going to, is changing the world and will change the world. I'd love you to just yeah. end by sharing oh. a bit about that. Yeah, well, that uh, that everyone um, that the conditioning that we receive in the culture, that the beliefs around children and feelings and behaviour get um, replaced by these ways of understanding children and adults and babies, and that increasingly the culture just naturally, which I think is happening, I see it, I've seen it in the last twenty years, that increasingly we are willing to see 
babies and children and ourselves through the eyes of love. We are willing to, to meet needs and see how important they are, particularly for closeness and to be heard and for empathy and for choice. And we see the biggest thing is that we see feelings are not only normal, natural, not something to be judged. They're not misbehavior. They're not something wrong with anyone, but they're the most beautiful and wondrous thing that we have as human beings and that, that they are welcomed and loved. And to me, like everything would change. If, if those few things happened, we would live in a completely different world. So that's just a few of it. But basically that we're parenting in all the similar forms, like hand in hand, parenting just become the new mainstream. And that it's just like, that's just how things are seen and how things are done. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah to that. Hallelujah. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's so amazing. Marion, I could listen to you talking all day and I love all these things. Oh, just, yeah, so, so helpful for people. Do you want to just share a little bit about your, all your amazing offerings and all the wonderful things that you, um, all the different ways that you support parents with all this yummy stuff? Oh, thank you, lovely. Yeah, well, I, I have a website, which is marionrose.net, and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Instagram's underscore Marion underscore Rose underscore, and uh, Facebook's Marion Rose PhD. And I love sharing. I love sharing memes about aware parenting. I love sharing. I've got lots of free offerings and articles and courses and all kinds of things. And basically, I'm just so happy to to contribute in any way I can to any parent who wants to practice aware parenting or is practicing aware parenting so that as a community we we do take over the world <laughs> and I'm all in for that to happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too absolutely <laughs> wow wow thank you so much um, for sharing you. your wisdom and for everything that you do to support um, everybody at every stage in the aware parenting process I know that right from the beginning you were just so central to my learning about all this and you transform my family and I know that you still transform my family with everything that I still learn from you and I know that you support people who are new to this and people who've been doing it for a while and you support all the aware parenting instructors and encourage people to to learn to be able to offer this too and the, yeah it's just we're so we're all so grateful for you in this community thank you so so much yeah thank you lovely i want to cry <laughs> great i'm here to listen <laughs> um thank you to you joss i'm so glad that you're in this community i love your presence and what you bring to to the aware parenting um space and i'm just so excited about your podcast and all the people you're going to talk to and all the people they're going to get to listen to you and i as you know and i tell you many times like uh, hearing from you and receiving your empathy and hearing your beautiful wisdom is is like uh, manna to my soul. So I'm just sending you such uh, well wishes for your podcast journey. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> so I will stop and look forward to speaking to everybody next time. Thank you. Hello, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Marion. If you would like to know anything more about Aware Parenting, I have a free introduction to Aware Parenting course on my website. It goes through all the basics, all the theory, and gives you lots of tools and strategies that you can use to start using this beautiful approach in your families.
Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.